Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to Banking Weekly from the Financial Times with me, Patrick Jenkins. Joining me in the studio today are Emma Dunkley, our retail banking correspondent, and Caroline Binham, our financial regulation correspondent. Our guest today is David Hollingworth, who's Associate Director at London and Country Mortgages. And we are also joined from New York by Ben McClanahan, our US banking editor. This week, we'll be discussing the latest innovations in the UK mortgage market as Barclays goes back to the future with a 100% mortgage. We will be looking at Tabanula, the insider trading scandal and the results in the court case there. And finally, to the US, we'll be looking at Lending Club, where the founder and chief executive of the peer-to-peer lender has resigned unexpectedly. First, though, to the Barclays story, where we've had a kind of 100% mortgage launched, Emma. Tell us all. Yes, well, analysts are hailing this as the first no-deposit, 100% loan-to-value mortgage from a large high street bank since the financial crisis, when obviously a lot of the banks retrenched and reined in so-called riskier lending. We've also had quite strict regulation crop up in the last few years under the Mortgage Market Review, which clamped down on lots of residential mortgage lending. So this move by Barclays really does sort of pave the way for higher LTV mortgages. Is it a real 100% mortgage? Well, this is causing a lot of debate insofar as the borrower is not required to put down a deposit and in that sense they get a mortgage worth 100% of the property value. But a guarantor is needed who must stump up 10% of the property price in cash and set it aside into a Barclays account. So obviously there's a risk here for the guarantor who tends to be a family member or guardian insofar as if the borrower can't repay the mortgage or is is delayed in some way, falls into arrears, then the guarantor has to wait before they get their money back. So the guarantor puts their money away for three years at a rate of about 1.5% on top of base rate. But there is some risk to that. So it's not a bad rate of return. It's a proper savings product. It's not just paying the deposit for the mortgage holder. That's exactly the appeal is the fact that they get a rate of return. But also this sort of relieves the burden on the bank of mum and dad, inverted commas. Until now, a lot of first time buyers in particular have drawn from their parents for stumping up a deposit. And this is not usually returned on a lot of return to the providers of the deposit. So this is a way for parents or guardians to safeguard their cash, know they're going to get it back and get back a rate of return. But obviously, there are risks involved. Well, let me bring in David Hollingworth at this point. David, thanks very much for joining us. We've seen quite a lot of evidence and certainly a lot of commentary around a supposedly overheating housing market in the UK, particularly in London and the South East. And 100% mortgages were certainly associated with overheating last time around. Do you think this is further evidence of that? Well, certainly we know that getting the deposit together is one of the big challenges for first-time buyers. And and that certainly only gets added to by rising house prices. We also know that the bank of mum and dad is a key component in most aspiring first-time buyers' hopes of actually taking that first step onto the ladder. 
So this product's kind of pulling those things together. The parental help is still being harnessed in this product, but of course it, it is a step further from what we've already seen from Barclays at 95% to offering the child that 100% deal. I think it's still a long way from true 100% lending, and I'd be surprised if we see anyone rushing to enter that market just yet. But people need to understand the risks that are associated with these products as well as the benefits. And of course, pre-2007, we saw mortgages were in excess of, of 100%. Was it 110% mortgage from Northern Rock, which was the infamous e- even one? Even 125%, where that was structured as part secured up to 95% plus up to a maximum of 30% on an unsecured basis. And obviously Northern Rock's something of a poster boy for the credit crunch from the mortgage side of things. No one's likely to be eager to launch that style of product, I think, in the near future. So relative to those heady times, you think we should be fairly sanguine about the state of the market at the moment? Well, the mortgage market review is all about putting a good framework in place to prevent lenders just returning to the slacker lending criteria that certainly was in play at the last peak. So lenders are increasingly fighting on rates because it's a much more competitive market. There's more appetite from lenders. And of course, they are going to seek to innovate in this kind of way as another way of differentiating from the competition. But all that should happen without a dramatic push towards looser lending standards, which is what we don't want to see. Let's hope you're right. David Hollingworth, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. Let's move on to our second story of the day. And Caroline, you've been having fun in court. The long-running Tabanula investigation, so-called, is an insider trading scandal that dates back several years. Well, long-running is perhaps an understatement. The trial itself was 12 weeks, but even to get to trial, it was eight years of investigation This was a probe that the old Financial Services Authority first mounted in early 2008. The FSA, as you well know, has come and gone and it's been replaced by the Financial Conduct Authority. We had verdicts on Monday. It was a split verdict. We had two people convicted and three walk free. The two that were convicted included a former corporate broker at Lehman Brothers and Deutsche Bank, so a true city insider and perhaps a riposte from the FCA to accusations that it's only ever pursued small fry in these kind of cases. And the other convicted man was the middleman in this alleged scam. And what exactly did they do? So Martin Dodgson, who is the former Deutsche Bank corporate broker, was found by the jury to have passed information he gleaned from his employment to Andrew Hind, who was a family friend of his, a former finance director, in fact, at Sir Philip Green's top shop and a one-time advisor to Lord Rose at Marks & Spencer. And Mr Hind then traded on this information, netting the pair about £1.1 million in profit that they then split. And the other men who have been cleared of any guilt, what was the accusation against them? So the scam allegedly involved another alleged insider, Grant Harrison, who was Mr Dodgson's friend from their time together at UBS. Mr Harrison was at Panmure Gordon and advised mid-cap companies, including Encipher, which is an encryption company that was one of the stocks the alleged insiders were said to have traded upon. Then at the other end of the chain were two quote, prolific day traders, Ben Anderson and Naraj Parvizi, who were placing the trades on behalf of Mr Hind. 
The FCA alleged that this was with knowledge that the information Mr Hind was getting was from insiders, but the jury found otherwise and acquitted them. So put this in the broader context, finally, you know, this is quite a coup, uh, I guess, for the FCA to get to guilty verdicts. Well, it's a bit of a mixed bag, to be fair. I mean, Tabernula, which is the code name of this investigation, it's Latin for little tavern, perhaps an allusion to the fact that some of the defendants would meet at pubs to trade inside information. This investigation has had lots of separate strands to it, three guilty pleas already. It's cost £14 million for the regulator to bring. So putting that into context, that's double the amount of alleged ill-gotten gains that this circle of insider traders were said to have made. Two out of five, you know, that's a 40% hit rate on the most recent trial, although, as I've said, there's another three guilty pleas before this year's trial. But what they'll be hoping for, I guess, is that it sends a signal to the market that this kind of behaviour is no longer acceptable and therefore it's a price worth paying in terms of the £14 they've invested in the case. I think that's certainly true. I mean, that was certainly a message that the old FSA wanted to ram home when it started prosecuting insider trading from 2008 onwards. There was a steady slew of cases in the subsequent years. But I think what happened is that with the resource-intensive LIBOR and Forex rigging cases... That meant that the regulator didn't really have resources to bring other insider trading cases. So whilst we have seen a drop in suspicious trades from 2009 that accompany these early insider trading prosecutions, there's actually been a bit of an uptick in suspicious trades since 2014. And that's accompanied a dearth of other contested trials of insider trading. So the big question is, does the FCA have the appetite to continue bringing these cases that are sometimes difficult and complex to get results in? We'll have to keep a watchful eye. Thank you very much for that, Caroline. Well, let's go for our third and final topic today to New York, where Ben McClanahan, our US banking editor, has been talking to US banking correspondent Alistair Gray about the surprise resignation of the founder and chief executive of Peer-to-Peer Lender Lending Club. Big news from the world of online lending this week. One of the most high-profile names in the industry has resigned suddenly. Renaud Laplanche was the founder of Lending Club. He's standing aside as chairman and chief executive. The company warned of a, a so-called lapse in business practices and uh, the shares have tanked. Joining me now to discuss the developments is Ben McClanahan, the FT's US banking editor. Ben, thanks for joining us. No so, so what do we know about what's happened? Well, it's all very mysterious. Um, the, the market was expecting pretty downbeat earnings from Lending Club. They were primed for a slowing of originations and so on. And we got all that. And in fact, the figures were more or less okay, probably better than expectations. But it was completely overshadowed, as you say, by this um, shock announcement that uh, Renaud Laplanche, the, the founder, chairman and chief exec, uh, since 2007, he steered the ship uh, very, very capably through some choppy waters. I mean, he's a keen sailor, so that's why I'm using this, this rather laboured metaphor. But anyway, he's, he's done a, a very good job. He, he's been a figurehead for, for this fast-growing industry. Uh, he, he's countered lots of the scepticism that, that's been emerging about um, the sustainability of the business model he's built. But now he's gone. And um, still, we, we've got a three-page uh, statement from Lending Club and not much else to go on. The basic um, allegation, it has to be an allegation until um, he speaks, is that um, he was essentially playing fast and loose uh, with disclosures on uh, on a package of loans that uh, was bought by Jefferies. Uh, they haven't named uh, the buyer, but I I know it's his Jefferies, and uh, Jefferies had had a long term supply deal with Lending Club to to buy X amount of loans in an X category. 
and apparently uh, Mr. Lepage, perhaps to meet uh, the first quarter guidance, shuffled some loans from pot A to pot B when he shouldn't have done. And was he involved in this lapse, or is he going just because he's um, carrying a can for something that's happened on his watch? Yeah, again, I, I wish I'd ha- had his, his side of the story before sounding off, but uh, he's gone, so that, that implies some culpability, even if he directly didn't give the order himself. Uh, people underneath him did. And uh, just reading the, w- the way the statement's worded, it, it does appear that um, uh, he, he does share some portion of the blame. Some people I've spoken to today uh, are delighted that um, that Lending Club, uh, despite the reputation for living by the seat of its pants, uh, has a has a sort of strong culture of corporate governance. So they, they they picked up this internal issue, and they've taken pretty drastic action, which is to boot out the founder. And why aren't why haven't they told people a bit more about what's going on? Uh, that's that's a good question. I, I expect that more will emerge in coming days. I, I've tried ringing around board members this morning. Uh, the operation is is a complete lockdown, and not even the head of PR is picking up the phone. That, that's how drastic wow. things have. Uh, have got over there. Well, I mean, share, the shares have lost about a quarter, more than a quarter of their, their value. And I guess it's obvious, but why, why, why are investors so concerned about this? Well, investors have been concerned about the business model, as I've said, for, for a long time, especially given that our credit markets now are more difficult. If you're packaging up assets and selling them into credit markets, it's, it's a tough business, especially if you haven't been through the credit cycle uh, like Lending Club has. I mean, it, it was founded 2007, so you could say it's seen some so, so, something of a downturn. But uh, as far as, as as investors are concerned, as they're looking to build their exposures into this new asset class, this is still an untested model. So the shares, yeah, have been falling rapidly um, since the IPO at $15. That They haven't even come close. Uh, they started to fall last summer when, when some of the lockups expired and investors were allowed to sell. And since then, yeah, they, they've been very, very weak. And uh, since January and February, when credit markets really got uh, nasty, that uh, they've been on a steadily downward trend. And help us understand a bit about the the background to the industry. I mean, there's been a lot of hype, hasn't there, about these platforms, alternative yeah. lending. How much uh, success are they actually having? I mean, how how worried should the banks be? Well, I think qualified success for now. Uh, it, th- there's lots of comparisons made with Uber and Amazon, for example, but they they haven't demolished the taxi industry like uh, like Uber has or the the book retailing business like Amazon has. I think eventually that they, they could make a, a, a much bigger impression. Of course, all the investment banks come out with big forecasts, very big numbers for for the percentage of personal loans in particular that these guys account for. But I think um, if you look back over 2015 in the personal loans category, um, altogether, these online lenders accounted for a quarter of new originations, which is pretty good going after three or four years of pretty rapid growth. And so finally, just so what are the big unanswered questions then that the shares are to recover uh, have to be addressed? <laughs> There's all sorts. I think we need a proper account of what happened on, on the Thursday and the Friday uh, of last week. As these problems emerged, uh, I, I will do some more reporting, see if I can find out. I suppose that the governance structure that now Lending Club has, uh, has settled on is, is a more solid one, at least on paper. It would appear to remove a little bit of power from the chief executive. Let's see if the shares recover. I've got a sense that um, there won't be a massive rebound for now as long as these um, funding problems that the entire industry faces are still unresolved. Uh, the, the core of the problem, it seems to be, uh, was that um, Lending Club had too much supply coming in and not enough demand on the other side, uh, not enough places to put uh, all these loans. And I think that that could have encouraged the, um, the sort of corner cutting, which apparently happened here. All right, Ben McClanahan, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks, Lars. That's it for this week. All that's left for me to do is to thank Caroline and Emma here in the studio, our guest David Hollingworth from London and Country Mortgages, and also Ben and Alistair in New York. Remember, you can keep up to date with all of the latest banking stories at ft.com banking. 
Banking Weekly was produced by Fiona Simon and Amy Keane. Until next week, goodbye. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.